My name is Nate, and I am uh, one of the directional elders here at the church. I've been so for something like four years now, and uh, half of you guys are probably like, elder, expected somebody a little bit older. This guy looks like a baby. And to that, I would say, should have seen me four years ago. I really was a baby four years ago. And furthermore, you should have seen this church four years ago. I mean, our church was a baby four years ago. In any event, I've been an elder for four years. And, and prior to that, the, the three years prior to that, the first three years of this church, I was actually the full-time worship leader here. Well, not full-time in the sense that it was my job. I had a Monday through Friday job, but I did it every weekend, that kind of full-time. And, you know, God is working at the speed of light around here in the moment, all the time, doing amazing things. And we don't always tell the stories about how we all got to be in this room, right? We all have a story about why we're in this room. And I have a story about why I'm in this room. And I just want to let you guys in on that. So eight years ago, um, my wife and I, we were at the Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham, uh, the church that planted Two Cities Church. And we already knew we were moving to Winston for work. And we heard that the Summit was planting a church in Winston-Salem. And we thought, oh, that's convenient. So uh, we reached out and met the church planner, this guy named Kyle Mercer, and liked him a lot, you know? And he told us about his church plant. And anyways, we ended up deciding like, hey, look, uh, we're gonna move to town. We'll visit some churches and you guys launch, we'll visit yours and we'll make a decision. He was like, okay, fair enough. Um, so we did that, we moved to town and Kyle texted me and he's like, hey, you guys landed anywhere yet? We're launching in a couple months. And we're like, no, we haven't landed at a church yet. He's like, why don't you uh, come get lunch with me and my executive pastor, this guy named Dave Vogel. And guys, this lunch, it's like implanted in my memory. I'm sitting outside at a table um, at Mooney's Mediter Mediterranean on 4th Street, rest in peace, right? And um, <laughs> these two guys, Kyle and Dave walk up, they're just larger than life, right? My first time meeting Dave and they're warm as can be. We're chit-chatting, getting to know each other. It's super comfortable. And then Kyle, I've never seen anything like it. He, he throws it into gear. And he's like, okay, so we are launching this church in a few weeks and uh, we don't have a worship leader yet. Oh, I don't think I mentioned this. So at the summit on a very fill-in basis, I was like leading worship sometimes and Kyle knew about that. He's like, we don't have a worship leader yet. And um, I think it's you. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, I'm flattered. I had no idea you were thinking this, but you know, I'm hitting the brake pedal a little bit. Uh, let me think and pray about it. You know, the classic stuff. And he's like, no, 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 you don't need to do those things. I've thought and prayed about it. It's you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Like, again, I'm flattered. Thank you. Um, in this moment, I feel open to it, but I'm not sure I feel particularly called in this moment. And he says, this. it's so intense. Like, but he literally says this. He says, I'm the pastor of this church, warm as can be, but very, the content is intense. I'm the pastor of this church. I'm calling you to be the worship leader at this church. And maybe that's what the call looks like. I don't know. And I'm like, you know, what the heck? Uh, it's a church plant. I can play my guitar and sing some songs and had no idea what I was getting myself into. Fast forward three years, I had led worship at this church plant for, it was over 300 times. We launched with two services. We were doing four by the time we mercifully hired Donovan. Um, but in any event, you know, just to think about that lunch that day and then the trajectory of the next seven years that the Lord would take me and my family on. And then to be able to stand up here today and preach to you guys, it's honestly just overwhelming to think about. So let me do that. Let me preach to you if you would be so kind. We're still in Ephesians 1. If you guys wanna turn to, type to Ephesians 1. Um, we'll be in verse 15, following up on what Kyle said last week was the deepest text he'd ever preached. 
in, in the middle of Ephesians 1, and I'm not really sure Paul's coming up for air here at the end of Ephesians 1. He kind of explodes into this prayer that we have today. So today we have two sentences, <laughs> the first of which is 168 words, and the second of which starts with an and. It's like if Paul was in your high school English class, you'd probably get a bad grade on sentence structure, right? Also probably a bad grade for offensive content, but jokes on the English teacher because like he's one of the best known authors in the world, right? In any case, let's look at it. Here we go, verse 15, let's read this. For this reason, this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. All right, let's pause there. We're gonna have to bit by bit, big run on sentence here, let's pause there. So Paul's in Rome and he has this church plant in Ephesus and he can't like watch the sermons online or call up the pastor, but somehow he gets a report that the church is doing good. And the nature of the report is that they are known for their faith in Jesus and their love because of Jesus. And he's encouraged and um, he's encouraged because faith and love, they're two of the classic markers of true Christians. Like you can't fake faith and love. It's something that God does in you. And the Ephesian church is known for their faith in Jesus and their love because of him. And that gets me thinking, okay, Ephesian church known for faith and love. What are churches today known for? Well, all kinds of things, right? You got, you got cool church. <laughs> What's cool church? Cool church is, you know, everyone on stage dresses super cool, good haircuts, nice shoes, whatever, and the, it's a great aesthetic. And is that stuff bad? Nah, that stuff is fine. But kind of weird if that's the number one thing your church is known for, known for being cool, right? So you got cool church. You got correct church. What's correct church? Well, correct church is like known for everything it stands for and stands against all the way down to the secondary and tertiary issues that it has white papered and argued about and there's classes on. And is that stuff bad? No, honestly, the Bible's the center of correct church, which is a good thing. But if the number one thing your church is known for is like where it stands on the like tertiary stuff, kind of weird. Cool church, correct church. You got cornucopia church. I'm trying to alliterate guys, okay? That's what you got, cornucopia church. What is that? It is, uh, you know, the church it's known for all the programs, all the like age and stage programs and the church softball leagues and all this stuff. Is that stuff bad? No, that stuff is great. It can be great. But again, kind of weird if that's like the number one thing the church is known for. It's like, <laughs> it's like going to a new pizza restaurant and uh, you go to this new pizza restaurant, you love it, you have a great time and you're telling all your friends, hey guys, you gotta check out this new restaurant. It's amazing. Never seen anything like it. All the waiters, they wear the coolest shoes. And the tables there, they're like the flattest tables I've ever seen. No wobbly tables. Don't have to stick a napkin under one of the legs. It's like, you know how you have to do that sometimes? No, no, super flat. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, okay. How's the pizza, right? Main thing in a pizza restaurant's the pizza. What's the main thing in church? Jesus. I mean, he bought her with his blood. I hope she's known for more than cool shoes, right? Okay. Church is out there known for all kinds of stuff. Let's take it down a level about us? What's two cities known for? What are we known for? I don't know. Um, hope it's faith and love. Maybe it's momentum. Maybe it's being big, getting bigger. New building downtown. That stuff's fine. We're excited about that stuff. We're about as excited about that stuff as like flat tables. Because that stuff's the trellis, man. Life's not in the trellis. Life's in the vine. His name is Jesus Christ. That's where the life comes from. And guys, honestly, we try so hard to keep the main thing, the main thing, to help us see it. We gotta keep looking at it. It's Jesus, gotta keep looking at it or else start looking at other things. We say things like, we wanna be a conversion community. 
We want Two Cities to feel like a place where life change happens. Explicitly, what we mean by that is we want Two Cities to be a place where people go from not really knowing about Jesus to learning about him, to falling in love with him and wrapping their whole lives around him. That's what we want. Um, kind of hard to measure though, right? I, I get why the attention goes to these other things because it's easy to measure like budgets, right? Or attendance on Easter, easy to measure that stuff. But if you want a metric, and I kind of do, I don't know of a better one than a baptism. Well, let's think about this. Why? Because faith and love. Let's think about this. For somebody to even be getting up here, like somebody had to love them and share the gospel with them. That's love. And what are they doing when they get up here? I believe. That's faith. I believe in Jesus. I want to follow him. So it's a faith and love metric. Okay. How are we doing? Well, guys, this year, it's April. We've baptized over 60 people at this church, and I'm pumped up about it. Last year, over 100 pumped up about it. Since 2019, we haven't kept perfect record to the beginning, but since 2019, 423 people baptized at our church, and I'm pumped up about it. I said it's a metric. It's, not, it's people. They're real people. It's not just a number. Like, it's some of you. My favorite thing isn't walking in here and seeing it overflowing with people, kind of like it is today. Honestly, sometimes gives me a little bit of anxiety, right? My favorite thing is looking right over there and seeing like five or 10 or the more the merrier in Jesus in my place t-shirts, walking up here, having a brother, sister, mom, dad, son, daughter. And that stuff messes me up, honestly. <laughs> Baptize someone they love. If we're gonna be known for something, let's be known for that. Let's take it down one more level. What are you known for? Like, I think we're doing a good job. I actually do. I think Two Cities is doing a good job. But are we known for faith? Are we known for faith and love because of you or in spite of you? Let me ask you a different way. Um, if everybody in this church did exactly what you did last year, more or less faith and love. If everybody in this church did exactly what you did last year, do we have an abundance of volunteers in all our ministry areas? Or are we like, dying in our kids' ministry because everyone wants to drop off their kids, but no one wants to watch them. If everybody did exactly what you did last year, is it thousands of classmates and coworkers and neighbors and friends hearing about Jesus? Or, or if take what you did, multiply times everybody, is it zero people? Look, I'm not trying to beat us up. I'm trying to build us up. The funny thing about this question, like half of you, it's an encouragement. Half of you, if everybody did what you did, this church would be on steroids. It would be amazing. It would be incredible. But then something like half of you, that's the nature of an average, right? It's a challenge to you. Look, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to build you up. Just here's, here's the point here. What's your next step? Great community group question this week. What is my next step in faith in Jesus? And what is my next step in love for others because of Jesus. So the Ephesian church, they're known for their faith and love. Paul's excited about it and he's praying for them. And this is what he says. Verse 16, let's read this. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. If you circle, you might wanna circle spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. 
All right, let's just interrogate this a little bit. Big run on sentence. Why is Paul praying here? Why is he praying? Because he goes on to say that he wants them to know some things and then says some things that he wants them to know. But why does he pray those things for them and not just say, know these things? Well, there is a certain type of wisdom. There's a certain type of enlightenment, revelation that only comes through the Holy Spirit. Like you can't get it any other way. There's no other way to get it. Like he's the source. He's the source. He's not a subject matter expert. He's not like your world history teacher who is winning teacher of the year, knows a lot about world history. And we got some questions and they know most of the answers. No, no, no. He's the source. Like he created all of the actors who have ever acted in world history and is in his sovereignty directing all of world history towards his end, which is his glory. He's the source, right? It feels theological, but I actually think it's very practical. Why is this practical? Because I think a lot of us are practically prone to seeking answers about like life's deepest stuff. Like, you know, how do I disciple my kids? And what's the purpose of this painful situation I'm in? And how do I relate to God? We're prone to going primarily or worse exclusively to subject matter experts and not to the source. Let me be clear, what am I talking about here? So the source, when I say the source, literally what I'm talking about is direct communion with God through Bible reading and prayer. That's what I'm talking about. Subject matter experts, oh my goodness. It's like everything else, right? It's like your favorite Christian authors or speakers or pastors or Christian podcasts, whatever else, you know? And they're great. I'm not saying throw the baby out with bathwater, like we should use them, but there's a right and wrong way to use them. Let me give a real example to try to make this real for us. So um, Bible Recap Podcast, it's great. You should do it. It's amazing. One of the top Christian podcasts in the world for a reason. You know, here's, here's the wrong way to use it. Read during the read your Bible part, get through it as fast as possible. Don't really engage heart and mind, hit the snooze button. And then when Tara Lee starts talking to you, at that point, engage heart and mind. That, that would be the wrong way to use it. Like, like, take the supplement, use the subject matter expert, take your vitamins, but don't forget to eat the meal, right? Don't live on vitamins, make sense? So Paul's going to the source. He's praying to him and he says this, verse 17, asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Again, pause here. Okay, we just need to keep asking questions. Big run on sentence, lots of spiritual words. What is, can you put back up there for a second? Sorry. What is that? Eyes of heart. See that? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. What is that? Is that a real category? Eyes of heart. Like, according to this passage, you have two types of eyes. The first one's self-evident, right? Eyes of head, right? You're looking at me with them right now, eyes of head. But, but you also have eyes in your heart. It's a real category, according to this passage. And it's helpful to understand eyes of head as an analogy for understanding eyes of heart. So eyes of head, I get that this is dumbed down, but what do they do? Uh, eyes of head observe information in the physical world. And, and the eyes of your head inform your activity in the physical world. And it's important to see correctly so that you can act correctly in the physical world. Like it's important to see that a light is red so that you can break and not get T-boned in the middle of an intersection, right? Okay, let's think about the analogy. Eyes of heart, what do they do? They observe realities in the spiritual world, not, not in the physical world, in the spiritual world. And they're real, stuff is real. It's like 
God, heaven, hell, sin, righteousness, good, evil. It's like, it's, it's the most real stuff actually, but you can't see it with eyes of head. You have to see it with eyes of heart. And you will only be able to see, this is important guys, the eyes of your heart only work correctly if you are spiritually alive. Amen. Obviously, right? I mean, like, think about it. Can a physically dead person observe things in the physical world? No, they cannot. They're dead, right? In the same way, can a spiritually dead person, aka a non-Christian, observe things correctly in the spiritual world? No, they cannot expect to do so. Only Christians. That happens at salvation when the Spirit illuminates the eyes of the heart. And this leads us to the next point. It's very interesting. It's more than interesting, but it's at least interesting. Uh, it is possible to think that you see correctly with the eyes of your heart and to not be able to see correctly with the eyes of your heart. That's a possibility. How do I know this? Mark 4 says this. They may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. This verse is saying it's possible to see and not perceive. Like it's possible to understand a spiritual reality, to understand it and kind of mentally assent, but not truly see it with the eyes of your heart. Oh, this is hard to talk about. Spirit, help me. So let me try to give the most high contrast example for us to kind of know what I'm talking about here. Let's think about a real example. Judas. Judas is one of the 12 disciples, right? He walks around with the incarnate son of God for three years, seeing him, oh my goodness, raise Lazarus from the dead, seeing him cast out demons, seeing him multiply food and feed thousands of people, right? Healing people. But he was a fraud, right? He's fooling everybody but Jesus. Scary thing is I think he was even fooling himself a lot of the time. Kind of scary to think about. He was fooling everybody else. Think about this, guys, this is crazy. So in Matthew 10, Jesus sends the 12 out on a mission trip. And he gives them authority over demons and to heal people. And Judas goes out. And it doesn't say when they got back, <laughs> Judas's ministry partner said, hey, hey Jesus, uh, what's the deal with Judas? This guy can't do anything. Like he can't teach, he can't heal anybody, he can't cast out any demons, he's got a bad attitude. What's the deal with this guy? So I think it's safe to assume like Judas could do some stuff. But in the end, Judas proved by his activity that he did not see correctly. Why, what did he do? In the end, he sold the son of God for money, proving that he saw money as God and not Jesus Christ, which is obviously incorrect sight. Okay, why do I even bring this up? What am I saying here? Am I saying that some of us in here are in danger of being Judas? Well, not with the same global stakes, but same personal stakes. I think so. Guys, as an elder of this church, and I love you guys so much, but I'm concerned that there's a category of people coming around who are content being spiritually adjacent and not spiritually alive. And it, it particularly concerns me because, because I think most people in that category don't know they're in that category. 
and I'm not trying to beat us up. I'm trying to be helpful. Like, I don't want us to realize we're in that category when it's too late. So what do I mean by this? Spirit, help me. This is hard to talk about. Because it looks the same. And actually, the activity, it kind of looks the same a lot of the time. It, there is more to it than coming to church to feel good about yourself. Judas did more than that. There's more to it than like hanging out with people who really love Jesus. I mean, Judas did that. He was one of the disciples. He hung out with great friends, right? There's more to it than like this mentality. Like, oh man, church, it's been great for my family. We've loved getting them plugged in here. It's like great for my kids, the youth ministry, the kids ministry, great for my kids. Is it good, is it good for you or, or is it just good for your family? And by the way, precisely what do you mean by it? Are we talking about Jesus? Or are we talking about like a nice safe place so that my kids can have some nice safe friends? See what I'm saying? Spiritually adjacent. And like, if we could just take a second, guys, and I'm not trying to beat us up, but just to be honest with ourselves. For some of you, Jesus isn't your Lord. Like, I'm not trying to beat us up, but it's helpful to see what's, what's really happening. Like, for some of you, it's money. You take Jesus out of your life, your life looks pretty much exactly the same. Like, he's not the thing without which your whole life doesn't make sense anymore. But money, it is. Or maybe, like, fun is your Lord. You're like, what? I'm deeper than that. Fun's not my Lord. I don't know. I know what you see by what you do. So, like, I don't know. Look, again, I'm not trying to beat us up. I'm not trying to be needlessly offensive. I'm trying to be helpful. You're like, how is this helpful? Here's how it's helpful. What do you do? Can we look back at the verse? Look at this. If you see and perceive, there's always a first correct activity. You turn. And what? And get what you deserve? You get punished? <laughs> no. You get forgiven. You get freed. You get healed. Jesus wants to heal you. He wants you to see it and then turn and see him as a forgiver and not run away like Judas, seeing him as a dammer. Yeah, he's good. So Paul's praying that, that we would see. He's also praying, verse 18, says, that you may know. Pause. Okay, real bite size this time, right? That you may know. See and know. You're like, how is knowing any different than seeing? Well, it's a little bit different, and we have to understand the Greek to understand how this is really different. So uh, there's two words in Greek for know. The first one is oida. What's oida? Oida is to understand facts merely. You understand it. You get it. You know it. But you understand the facts merely. The word that Paul's using here is ginosko. This is a felt knowledge that is gained through experience. Try to explain this a couple ways. Um, I can know, Oida, that a Dojo's cinnamon sugar donut is made of one half fat, one half cinnamon sugar, and made fresh in the back by like a magical elf in the kitchen, right? It's magical. But I don't eat the donut. I know it. I don't eat the donut. Or I can not know that stuff and eat the donut. That's Ginosko. That's the type of knowledge that, that Paul's talking about here. It's emotional, it's experiential. Let me explain this a different way. So uh, I think we can all know, understand the fact that it's thrilling to win the Super Bowl, right? It's different vantage points though. So on the one end of the spectrum, Oida, you have, I don't know, maybe it's Monday morning and you forgot the Super Bowl is yesterday and you're going through your news and you're like, oh, picture of 
Chiefs win and Patrick Mahomes quarterback, Andy Reid coach, they're hugging, confetti's falling. Oh, looks like those guys had a nice time yesterday. Must be thrilling to win the Super Bowl. You don't click the article, you just go on. But you understand that it's thrilling to win the Super Bowl. Or, way over here, you know, Sco, you're like a Chiefs fan since you were a little kid, right? And you didn't go last time to the Super Bowl, but this year you're like, I just love them so much, I'm going. I'm overpaying for tickets. You do that, you're in the stands, you watch it happen live, like you see it, it's exhilarating, it's emotional, it's experiential. There's actually another level over here. You're Patrick Mahomes. That's the other level. You, like, like it's Super Bowl Sunday and you put the pads on and you put the jersey on and it's your hand slinging touchdown passes and the confetti's falling on you and you're hugging Andy Reid, the coach, and the microphone's in your face. That's Gnosko, that's what Paul's talking about here. It could not be more emotional. It could not be more experiential. And guys, God has saved us to be Patrick Mahomes. Like, he wants you to experience the thrill of your salvation like that. But I'm afraid that too many of us feel like we read about it in the news. And if someone were to ask us, like we get the answer mostly correct. Like we can explain how salvation operates, but we sound like people that read it in the news. We don't sound like people that have experienced the glorious things we're talking about. We, we feel and sound like spectators of our own salvation and not experiencers of it. And, oh my goodness, for so many of us, there's, just, there's this tremendous dissonance between the faith we actually believe and the feelings we actually feel. And some of this is our fault, some of this is not our fault, I think. So let me try to parse this out a little bit. For those of us who this is not our fault, like you're really trying, man. You try to seek the Lord, you love him so much. You're not a perfect person. You're doing it failingly, but you're trying to seek him daily. You're repenting of sin, you're running to him. And if that's you, just wanna encourage you, just keep doing the same things. Just keep doing the same things. I, I feel like you a lot of the time, so maybe that's encouraging. The guy talking to me about this feels like me. Paul's praying for you, I think that's encouraging. We've established that Paul's encouraged about this group of believers, their faith and love, but he's also praying that they would know it more experientially and emotionally. So that's, I think, encouraging. Just like you pray, like that's a thing to do. You pray, pray a prayer like this. God, oh my goodness, like I don't feel it. Like help me to feel it. I feel ineffective and unemotional most of the time, but give me the strength in the meantime to just keep doing the same things and keep seeking you. And find me when you show up, find me right here believing, eyes wide awake. And he will show up. Let me finally encourage you with this. I know the end of the story. One day, you'll see him face to face. The faith you believe and the feelings you feel, it'll be the same thing. It'll be united. It'll be freedom. You'll be doing exactly what you wanna do. It'll be the right thing to do. Totally emotional, totally experiential. Now for some of us, the dissonance, it's kind of our fault. We're caught in what I'm gonna call the spiritual sleep cycle. What is this, the spiritual sleep cycle? It, it is uh, an oscillation between two activities, the first of which is taking a really long spiritual nap and then waking up for a little bit of time to take in some spiritual Netflix. All right, so let's talk about what's a spiritual nap. A spiritual nap is like, you just got your eyes closed most of the time to the things of the Lord not praying to them, not reading your Bible, not thinking about them. They're secular sight, but they're spiritual slumber. Like your secular eyes are wide awake. 
your money eyes open. You're aware. You know exactly where you're at financially. Like uh, your social media status eyes open. How many likes I get? How many likes I get? How many likes I get? Hope the number by the thumb is big. You're aware. You know. They're awake. But spiritually, just like asleep. But then every once in a while, you roll out of bed onto the couch for some spiritual Netflix. You're like, is this dude trying to explain a concept with the idea of spiritual Netflix? Yeah, that's what I'm doing. So please try to follow me here. We'll, we'll see if it works. Spiritual Netflix, what is this? It's not so much an activity as it is a mentality. Here's the mentality. Entertain me, entertain me. You want the most bite-sized, attractional spiritual content you can find. Hope the preacher doesn't go too long. Hope he's funny. Hope they play my favorite songs. Hope the mix sounds good. And then you just like go back to sleep for a couple weeks. And if that's you, you're gonna feel the dissonance. I mean, you're going to. And so again, not trying to beat up, just what do you do? How is this helpful? You pray too. You pray too. You pray something like this. God, I don't feel much toward you and it's my fault because I've been sleeping on you. Haven't been thinking about you. Haven't been looking to you. So help me. Help me to look to you. Help me to see you as something that's worthy of my attention. Because the problem is that I don't see you that way and I need your help to, to see you that way. And I think that's a prayer he wants to answer. I really do. All right. So Paul's praying that we would see and that we would know. See and know what? Three things. First one's in verse 18. That you may see and that you may know. What is the hope to which he has called you? All right, so the first one's hope. Um, the English word hope doesn't really serve this idea super well. So the English word hope, it, it's kind of like a wishful thinking type of, type of hope. Something that, you know, like, oh, I hope the weather's nice this weekend. You're not sure about it, but you would like for it to happen. No, no, the biblical hope that is being talked about here is something in the future that you are sure is going to happen and you're excited about it. And because of that, it creates activity and passion in the present. That's the hope that's being talked about here. And Paul's praying that we would know a hope. Well, how do you know a hope? You know a hope by hoping. That's how you do it. And we love to do this. We do this all the time, right? We do this all the time. We hope in uh, you know, a wedding day or a baby due date or a vacation. Like my wife and I last year, um, 10 year anniversary, we went to uh, Cancun for our honeymoon and we wanted to go back for 10 years. And so we bought plane tickets and we reserved you know, a room at this resort. And then it was sure that it was going to happen and we started hoping in it. How do you know we were hoping in it? By our activity in the present, right? Started talking about it all the time. We, we did some things. We bought sunscreen. We bought some new clothes. We got grandma to come up and watch the kids. Like our activity looks like we were hoping on this thing in the future. And then a couple weeks leading up to the trip, our hope was like solving our bad days for us. It was crazy. It was like long day at work, kids crazy. Finally got them in bed, look at each other. Like we just got beat up. Spawn Cancun, man. Five days, almost there, right? Hope's solving our bad days for us. Hope will do that, interesting. So then we get there and like Cancun, it's holding the weight of our hope. It's amazing, it's like right there. We were having such a great time until like day two. Um, had a rash <laughs> break out of my arm and then quickly over my whole body. I had, right before we left for the trip, I did some yard work and apparently got into poison ivy and 
Yeah, it's a bummer, man. <laughs> and I have not a normal person's reaction to poison ivy. Like, I, I actually know other people have gotten to poison ivy. I've actually been in the hospital before. Like, it's bad. I have a not normal person's reaction to poison ivy. And um, we did go to the spa. (laughs) First of all, Mexican steam rooms, they're like, they they make them different in Mexico. Like, they're way hotter down there. It it was more like hell than it was paradise for me. Here's the punchline. Disappointing. Like, Cancun didn't hold the weight of all the expectation I was throwing at it. It was disappointing. And that's our problem with hope, right? Our problem with hope isn't that we... Don't do it. So we hope in things that tend to disappoint us. But biblically, we know that there, that there is a hope, one hope that doesn't disappoint us. His name is Jesus. Like he can hold the weight of all the expectations and all the planning and all the dreams that we throw at him. He can hold the weight of it. I'll explain this a different way. So in my community group, we do these icebreaker questions before a group. We have fun in my group. They're ridiculous questions. Here's an example of a question we had one time. Uh, what is the minimum amount of money... <laughs> that it would take for you to voluntarily chop off a finger, and which finger would it be? Of course, right? So, so we kick it around and it you know, breaks the ice for sure. We're talking about it. And in the end, we all have a number. They're big numbers, but we all have a number. We, th- there is a reward in the future that's rich enough for us to voluntarily endure pain in the present of cutting off a finger. Like if the reward is rich enough, you'll chop off a finger. If the reward is rich enough, You'll chop off your sin. You'll do it. Like if you see it clearly, you know it's coming. It's painful in the present to do that a lot of times. It's, it's painful to cut off the porn addiction, but you'll do it. If the reward is rich enough, you, it'll get you through life's deepest stuff, man. Like in some of us room this size, deep stuff. There is some deep stuff represented in here. Like for some of you, the cancer diagnosis, it's real. That's your reality. For some of you, the abandonment, it's real. It is your reality. Hope in Jesus. Just the same way you can throw your dreams and expectations at him, you can throw all your burdens at him. He can hold the weight of it. He can hold the weight of it. You're like, dude, you don't know. You don't have my diagnosis. You're right, I don't. But I do know that there was this guy named Stephen who was literally getting stoned to death, like the act was happening, the stones were hitting him, and he had a smile on his face because he saw his living hope standing there ready to receive him in a few minutes. Got him through the hardest day of his life. It can get you through, promise. Jesus can get you through. He can hold the weight of it. Throw it at him. He can hold the weight of it. All right, what else does he want us to see and know? Verse 18 also says this, wants us to see and know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. All right, we talked about inheritance a little bit last week, our inheritance. Whose inheritance is this? What does it say? It's good to just ask questions of the Bible. Whose inheritance? His inheritance. It's his glorious inheritance. It's like, okay, what could possibly be coming to God that he does not already have that would be considered a rich, glorious inheritance. Um, you guys ever done one of those secret Santas with like extended family and you get together, you get assigned a person randomly and there's a dollar limit, and you gotta buy a gift for somebody. Well, imagine you're in the Bezos family. You, got, you have an uncle, this guy named Jeff, Uncle Jeff Bezos. You know, like one of the richest guys in the world invented Amazon, that guy. 
and you get assigned Uncle Jeff this Christmas, and you have a $100 limit, what do you get the guy? Kindle Fire? Amazon Prime membership? Like, what do you get the guy? He's got everything. What do you get God? He's got everything. What does it say? It's so crazy. I mean, I, you can't make this up. The saints, it's us. His glorious inheritance is in his saints. Oh my goodness, guys, he loves us so much. You're worth so much to him. Do you understand? Do you know it? Do you see it? Like, you know what something is worth by what somebody's willing to pay. Well, guys, God created heaven and earth, like for fun. Didn't cost him anything. Did it out of pure joy. He bought you by sweating drops of blood, being betrayed and abandoned by friends, and dying on a cross. You're expensive. You're expensive. And Hebrews says it was for the joy set before him that he did these things. Like he saw a vision of something in the future that allowed him to endure voluntarily pain in the present. It's crazy. Like, let's look at this. Okay, there's this verse in John 17. This is Jesus, the night before he gives his life to buy sinners, amazing stuff. He says this, goodness, Father, he's praying, night before he dies, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. In other words, Father, I know who I am. I'm the only begotten son. I've been happy forever. Couldn't be happier. An eternal, just perfect, joyful existence with you. Best thing ever. Let's share it with them. What? He's so different than us. Let's share it with them. I'm gonna lay down my life tomorrow, willingly, to share it with them. Like I want them to see this glorious thing that we're doing. Not just through a window, like as a spectator. No, no, no. As a co-heir. Like I wanna buy them and make them brothers and sisters. I want them to know what it's like to be me. Unbelievable. He loves us so much. Like, that's so generous of him. Like, who are we that he would do that? Who is he that we, he would do that? It's just crazy to think about. But guys, Paul wants us, the Holy Spirit, it's Bible, wants us to understand more and more and experience more and more the weight and the depth and the width of the love of God for you and how worthwhile you are to him. But the more that we see it, I think the more we would look a little bit differently. So Spirit, help us see it more. Help us see it more. Oh, he loves us so much. One more thing. He wants us to see it now. Verse 19 now. He riffs on this one for a minute. He wants us to see and know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. You all commentators think that power is actually the main theme of the book of Ephesians. And so there's gonna be plenty of teaching on power throughout this series. And I'm not gonna teach all the teachings that could be done on power, but here's all I want us to see for today. God has unlimited immense power at his disposal all the time, and he is using it all the time, and we're totally sleeping on it. 
we're totally sleeping on it. For example, we've all been sitting in here this morning, hearts beating, lungs breathing. Who's doing that? Who's doing that? You doing that? Are you like, oh my goodness, I gotta get oxygen to every single one of my cells this morning so I don't die? No, we just call it natural, right? No, it's hard to do. Somebody's doing it. God's doing it powerfully. It's hard to do. He holds the natural order together powerfully. It's hard to do. But this verse is talking about supernatural power. He's doing supernatural things as well. Like what kinds of things? Oh my goodness, all kinds of things, but at least all the things we've already talked about, right? Like it takes supernatural power to take sinners, save them, and illuminate the eyes of their heart so that they can work correctly. That's hard to do. And he can do that. He is doing that. It takes supernatural power for God to turn a bunch of sinners into an inheritance that he's excited about into a treasured possession is what it calls us. That's hard to do. Take a bunch of people like you and me and turn them into something beautiful for God. It takes a lot of power to do that. It takes a lot of power. And this is literally what this verse is talking about to take Jesus out of a grave and sit him on a throne, not a little bit above, it says high above everything else now and forever. Resurrection power to establish him as our living hope. It's hard to do. It's a lot of power. It's resurrection power. It's so crazy. What does this verse say? That it's, that, that, that power is toward us who believe. That's good news. Because a lot of us could use a little bit of resurrection power, right? A little bit of freeing power preached for a while, talked about prayer, but haven't prayed. So let's do that. Let's pray. Y'all go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes with me. It's good news that there's resurrection power, that there's freeing power that is towards us, towards you, because some of you guys are still locked up, man. Like some of you, it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. You, You do it. You hate doing it, but you do it. Locked up in anxiety, depression, locked up there. For some of you, it's your marriage. It's like you used to fight for it, then you used to just fight all the time, and now you're just, you don't even do that. You're just waiting for the kids to leave, and you got a plan for what's going to happen. You feel locked up there. Hmm. For some of you, it's unforgiveness towards dad. You shouldn't have done it. And you hate him for it. You're locked up there. For some of you, it's an addiction, sexual substance, something else. You can't even see it correctly. Think it's a playground, it's a prison cell and you're locked up there. Father, for all of us in all these places, Would you please unleash your freeing power? Break us out of these prison cells. Your resurrection power and resurrect those dead places. God, I know the end of the story. I know you're gonna do it. Ain't no one wearing chains around your throne. Every last one of us finally, fully, forever free around your throne. The only question is, when are you gonna do it? God, and I'm asking that you would do it now, sooner rather than later.
We don't want the height of the power that we experience in our lives, Father, to be the height of our abilities. No, no, no. We want the height of the power we experience to be the height of your abilities. We can't free ourselves. We would have done it already. We need you to free us, God. Powerfully, work powerfully. We're right here looking. Find us right here looking, eyes wide awake. Right here looking. Help us to see, God. Help us to experience. Let it be emotional. And wherever there's dissonance, give us grace, God. Work powerfully in us. It's not just for us, work powerfully through us. Do it for our families, do it for our friends, our neighbors. Glorify yourself. Praise in your name, Jesus. Amen.